Good morning, everybody. Woohoo! Thanks, Deacon. Now it's going well. Um, Grant asked me to send his love. He was texting me this morning at 7 a.m. He was going to bed at 10. Uh, he just said they miss you, all of us, um, but they're having a great time there. They're meeting with the leaders uh, yesterday in Temecula, and as Camille said, they're sharing three times today, so I think he's going to have quite a stretching day ahead, but um, they're working hard, and uh, they're doing good things over in California. Um, but if I haven't met you, massive welcome to Harbor City. My name is Brendan. Uh, welcome if you're visiting us for the first, maybe second or third time. And I'm going to be continuing through our Ephesians series this morning. Who feels like they know Ephesians back backwards? Because we've been going through Ephesians for probably like three months now, right? So I'm going to let you know it's coming to a close. We're coming to the end of chapter 6. This is the third to last preach in this series of Ephesians. Um, and what I love about Ephesians is that it was a port city, uh, the city of Ephesus that existed thousands of years ago. We're a harbor city church in the port city of Durban, and we're trying to relate to the Ephesians, the less to the Ephesians that the Paul, uh, Apostle Paul wrote to them many thousands of years ago. And what is so cool is actually sometimes we can almost distance ourselves from the story in the Bible. We actually think, do these places exist? Um, who are these people? Who are they writing to? Um, I can tell you Ephesus did exist. Um, I've been there. I've had the privilege of going there. It's an incredibly beautiful city. It is completely in ruin, but you can walk down the streets. You can see the houses that the people lived in. We went to the temple where they worshipped different gods. I think the thing that blew me away the most was actually we could look at the mountainside where Paul was able to stand, and he would, where um, there was an amphitheater, and he could preach to thousands of people in the midst of the Roman, Roman Empire in a port city of Ephesus in a multicultural community and environment. He was preaching the name of Jesus Christ, and we were able to stand there and look at these seats in an amphitheater of thousands of people where he would have preached without a microphone and he preached the name of Jesus. It was so cool to be there and see that the city of Ephesus was real. And we've been drawing similarities and teachings as we look back into the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, we look at our identity in Jesus and we find out who we are as Christians in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4 verses to 6, in chapter 4 to 6, we see that actually Paul then says, because of who you are in Jesus, this now is how you should live out your faith as Christians. And that's where we are today. So we're looking at chapter 6, verses 5 to 9 this morning. Last week, the Cadmans taught us how to be parents who live in light of the gospel, pointing our children to Jesus as we parent them intentionally, but also understanding the heart of God the Father as we relate to Him in a relationship with Him. And I'm picking up the next part of chapter 6. It's titled Bondservants and Masters. And this morning, we're going to be looking at gospel-centered and spirit-filled work as we go through this passage. Just for information, bond servants are also called slaves. So as we read through this, just bear that in mind. So I'd love to jump straight into it if I can. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of our service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. It's an incredibly controversial passage, because it seems as though the scriptures and Paul here is actually condoning slavery as we read through it. 
And don't get me wrong, slave, slavery in its context and its topic is unequivocally wrong. The scriptures are not condoning it. And I'm no expert, and unfortunately this morning I do not have time to dive into the topic of slavery. I listened to an incredible podcast by a guy called John Tyson, who really goes through slavery, gives context to this passage. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you can come and chat to me and I can show you where to find it. But I'm not going to be preaching about that this morning. What I would like to do is give us a little bit of context into how Paul was writing into this situation. So very briefly, in Roman Greco times, the Roman Empire was rampant across the whole of Middle East and Asia. Um, They existed across many countries They had dominion over many people. And slavery was something that looked very different in those times. Firstly, slavery was completely non-racial. Slaves existed in every single race, age, and gender. Slaves were actually often paid for the work that they did, but they were still called slaves. Slaves were often released to be free when they came of a certain age. Slaves were involved in all different kinds of occupations, whether they were working for the government or the Roman Empire, or whether they were working for individuals. If a person was to walk down the streets of Ephesus at the time, they would not have been able to distinguish by sight who was and who wasn't a slave. Because slaves were not shackled with chains. And as we read through this passage, we've also, maybe some of us are asking, well, why isn't Paul addressing the issue of slavery more strongly? Why isn't he, isn't he challenging that paradigm that exists within that Roman Empire and their rule and reign over the city of Ephesus? And the reason that he didn't address it more strongly is because the early church and the letter that he was writing to in this church of Ephesus was a persecuted minority within the Roman Empire. These guys were preaching Jesus is king, that he is Lord. They were never saying to people, actually, Caesar is king, even though he was the Roman emperor at the time. So there was this tension between the early church and the Roman empire that existed already, and Christians were a persecuted minority. They were not in a position to have cultural influence or power to begin the discussion about the abolition of slavery. And we might think, okay, well, that's quite drastic, that's quite hectic. But actually, if we look at modern day times, we can think about the underground Christian church that exists in China. They're a persecuted minority against the Chinese government. The Chinese government doesn't believe in Christianity. There's no freedom of religion in China. And the underground church in China is very much like the early church in Ephesus. A persecuted minority who is just trying to survive, who is just trying to follow Jesus, who is trying to follow Jesus by loving their neighbor and making disciples. So this early church in Ephesus was not in a position to be able to challenge the Roman Empire on the topic of slavery. They were being faithful to Jesus within the confines of the environment that they found themselves in. And this is the context and that Paul is writing to them. He's not challenging the topic of slavery, but he's saying, guys, where you are, where you are at, in the context that you're living in, this is what I am calling you to. And that's the lens that we need to read through this passage. So, what does that mean for us? What it means is that actually we're living in a much different context today. Slavery is gone. And Paul here in this context is actually writing to us in both an employer and employee kind of context. That's the topic in which we can look at, where we can draw learnings and understandings from in this passage. So firstly, who loves work? Yo, a couple of people. This crowd's dead, so I'm going to try and get it going a little bit. It's cold. Yesterday was hectic. I'm wearing a jersey. Then you know it's really cold. So who loves work? I had about five or six, seven or eight hands. That's awesome. 
I think one of the things when we think about work, we think about work as a necessary evil that exists outside there in the world in which we must attend work from Monday to Friday so we can get paid so we can actually live our lives on the weekends and on our 15 leave days a year. Is that right? Some people nodding, yes, that's me. I hate my job, I hate my life. Um, I started one of my first jobs at Mr. Price Sports. It was a casual place. People could wear t-shirts and jeans, and that's how they could do their work day. I didn't really know what to wear on my, my first day of work, so I put on smart black shoes, I put on smart jeans, and I put on a collared but a golf shirt. And I rock up, and the first person that I'm introduced to, he's wearing this bright blue shirt. I will never forget this moment. He was the guy who was going to be training me, and it says, I effing hate Mondays. And I sat there going, wow, that's a lot more casual than I thought. But um, it was just my first picture and image of Mr. Price was just this t-shirt. I've also recently had a person in my team who every single Friday, every single Friday, I'm sure you have somebody like this on a WhatsApp group, would send through something, TGIF, or a little cat dancing with sparklers, it's the weekend! And it absolutely killed me, partly because I hated my WhatsApp being flooded by stupid pictures, but also partly because the only thing she ever spoke positively about was her weekend. And how much she loved to get to Friday. The other five days of the week just seemed like everything was negative to her. Does anybody else feel like that? You're the one sending those pictures or you're getting them every single week? Because I think part of us think that work is a negative thing. That actually it is this necessary evil that we must exist to do so that we can pay our bills and continue to live life actually the way that we want to live. But if we cast our minds back and we look into the book of Genesis in chapter 1 to 3, we can see that actually God worked. And God's design was to work. As he created the world, as he created human beings, he created us to work. Work was not created just to make us tired and give us something to do. But actually it was created for us as humankind to give us dignity by doing things throughout the day. God gave Adam the responsibility to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it, and to be fruitful with it. And what that means is actually as we play our part in working, that actually we can be image bearers of God in what we do. Because deep within us there is a desire to contribute or to create, to bring to order or to add value to the world that exists around us as human beings. That's how God made us. And what that means is as we partake in work, that we are image bearers of God, bearing his image as we continue throughout our day doing our work. Whether that means that we are weeding the garden, whether we are teaching somebody, or whether we are making a meal for somebody, or whether you're sitting at the head of a board meeting, actually, you are doing the work that God has intended for you to do. And we are bearing his image as we do that. You know what's so interesting is God actually left the world intentionally underdeveloped so that humans can flourish within it. So let's think about food, if we can, for a second. How does food get to be on your grocery cupboard where you can pull it out and you can begin cooking with it? A farmer's got to go and go and plant the seeds. He's got to water those crops. He's got to make sure that they grow well. He's got to then harvest them. And then a truck driver's got to come and pick up that crop. He's got to take it to a factory where they can process it, they can package it neatly, Then another truck driver picks up those packets, he delivers it to a shop where somebody goes and stacks it on a shelf, and then you can go in and buy it. And you go to the cashier and you pay for it, and you drive in your car and you take it home so that you can cook a meal for your family or for friends coming over. And every single one of those people who has contributed to the work that gets that food into your grocery cupboard is actually doing what God has designed them to do. As they exist and make contributions to society so that they can make the earth flourish in how he designed it.
So we have a view that maybe work is a necessary evil. But that's not what God has designed. The other thing about work that exists is maybe you've got a spouse or a friend or a family member who absolutely gives their life and is consumed by their work. That's the other negative side. Where work is maybe their idol, where um, everything that this person does is just consumed by work. You can never get hold of them. They're in meetings. They're working late at night. You can never get to see them on weekends because they're working six or seven days a week. Work can busy us up. It can make us feel important. It can empower us. It can make us feel um, that maybe it gives some people power or can be their source of identity. And work can actually become an idol in our lives. Personally, um, just to let you know a little bit more about who I am, I'm an elder here at the church, but during the day, I work Monday to Friday. And I had a job at Game, based on here in Durban. Um, I was a guy leading a team of people, running a division um, that was relatively influential in the company. And what happened with me was work became an incredible, incredibly huge idol in my life. It was all I thought about. It was all I spoke about. Um, at the end of 2016, the financial results came out. The first thing that I did was go and check and make sure that I was still performing against my budgets and my targets and that I was a top performer. Because everything inside of me wanted to do well in my work. But to the point where it completely consumed me. It had become an idol in my life. And it was something that I wrestled with. It's something that I asked Grant and Shane at the time to pray for me for, to actually dethrone that idol in my life because it had taken over um, where Jesus needed to be. And then the beginning of this year happened, and Game decided that they wanted to relocate to Joburg. And something that was a massively huge part of my life was thrown into turmoil as I didn't know if I was going to be retrenched or not because I didn't want to go to Joburg. I wanted to stay in Durban. A huge part of who I was, because this thing was an idol in my life, was thrown into the space of the unknown because I'd invested so much of my identity in it. And as we read through Genesis, we see that that's not God's original design for it. And as we read through Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, we see that our identity is not in our work, because our work is not who we are, it's just part of what we do. Our identity is not found in our work, it's actually found in who Jesus Christ is, and our position in Him. I love having you here. You're so, so responsive. So what we can see here is actually Paul is calling the Ephesians and us in chapter 6 verses 5 to 9 to view work completely differently to maybe a necessary evil or to something that completely consumes us and can become our idol. Paul is saying here, actually guys, your work is holy because we are not to be working as though we have an earthly boss, but actually everything that we do, we can do it for Jesus. That is what he is saying here in these scriptures, that actually we would see our vocation and our place of work as doing service and worship to him. That everything that we can be doing, we can be doing the will of God in our place of work. The will of God is not um, preserved for people who preach the gospel or who lead churches or go and feed hungry kids and, or starving kids in Africa. Because that's what society might tell us, or that's what sometimes we might think the will of God is. But actually us working out our place and our vocation, our occupation, our place of work, doing our work diligently and well can actually be doing the very will of God that he has called over us and in our lives. And that doesn't matter if we are a student, whether we are home executive parents, whether we're a CEO, whether we're packing shelves, whether we're cleaning something, whether we are an unpaid volunteer. 
But actually, as we continue to do our work and what we are called to, we are doing the will of God in our lives. And that is what Paul is calling the Ephesians and us too as he writes this letter. He's urging us to look at our work completely differently to how we have been. That our work would be holy, that our work would be worship to God as we continue to do our things day to day. So he's calling us to change our concept of work in our mind. And then he takes it a step further. He doesn't just say, you know what, you've actually got to see your work differently. He then says, you know what, you've actually got to do your work differently. Because he says we should not be people who work under the watchful eye of our bosses as people pleasers. But actually we should be working hard in every single thing that we do. So he's saying we shouldn't be people who just work because we're trying to please somebody else. And we're not just working when they are watching us. But actually, we are working for God because we have an understanding that actually our work is different. Our work is holy. And when we're working for God, actually, we are working wholeheartedly. It says they're from the heart, which means we are giving it our everything. We're not just doing a half measure. We're not doing a half job. Actually, we are giving all of our energy, all of our attention, all of our focus to the job that we are currently doing. Because that is doing the will of God wholeheartedly. So what that means is if you're sitting at your computer, you're not the guy who's minimizing YouTube as soon as your boss walks past your desk. You're not the guy who at 3.30 and you've got a late meeting with a client out at a coffee shop and your client phones you and cancels, you're not the guy who still jumps in his car and goes home. And I'm not saying that we can't do those things, there's space for that, but actually where is our heart's position in that? What is our heart behind it? Yes, it's good to have a break and watch a YouTube clip. I do that. I need to do that. Otherwise, my mind goes funny and I can't even see the screen because I'm just looking at numbers all day. But actually, where is our heart in that situation? Are we working wholeheartedly for the people who have employed us to do a job? Or are we kind of skirting off on the job? We're doing our own thing. We're taking longer breaks than we need to. We're going home early. Actually, where is our heart in that situation? Dorothy Sayers started this conversation of faith and work and mixing these two together as we as Christians want to live out our lives not just on a Sunday. And she wrote this incredible essay entitled, Why Work? Challenging Our Thinking. And this is what she said. She said, often we think of exercising our faith at work as simply sharing our faith over the water cooler or at the coffee pot. You can tell she's an American. I think she was actually British. But it's so much more than that. Integrating faith and work means doing your work well. And then when speaking about Jesus, she said this. I found this incredible. She said, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. I felt so challenged by that. As she was saying, actually look at Jesus' life. Look at his life and the fact that he was a carpenter. He worked in a little town of Nazareth. He worked all the way up until the age of 30 as God's son living on earth. He was a man who worked. Okay? So A, he worked. B, he was a man who would have worked with a good work ethic, and he would have worked with a high quality or a high standard of work. If we want to become like Jesus, actually let's look at Jesus and let's look at his life and let's try to identify those things in his, in his life that we ourselves should be challenged by. It's an incredible essay in which he actually just looks at Jesus and challenges us. I'll read that line again. No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Paul also then says, you know what? We need to think about work differently. We need to work differently, wholeheartedly. And then he also says, you know what? Let's have a better attitude when we are at work. He's calling employees to have a heart that is willing, that is not begrudging. 
who doesn't just do stuff because our employers or our bosses tell us to do it, but actually, and the message version says that we would do it with a smile on our face. He's saying actually your whole attitude and your person at work should be completely different to those around you. You wouldn't just do a task because you have to do it, because if you don't do it, you won't get paid. But actually, do you do it with a willing heart? Someone who has a great attitude in the workplace, who is positive about their environment. One of the preachers that I was listening to this week said, you know what, actually, if we are a server in a restaurant, would we go and serve that meal to the customer as though that customer were Jesus Christ himself? Because then we are working as though we are serving Jesus. If we are teaching in a classroom, actually, would we teach so that we would think, actually, Jesus might be sitting on the chair or the desk in front of us, and we would teach in such a way that we would be teaching Jesus Christ himself? Because our attitudes can actually be completely changed when we think about how we serve Jesus, when we think about our work differently, and we think that actually he might be the person that we are serving. Sorry, I've got a line here that says I must drink water. I heard an incredible story of that. Somebody who had an incredible different attitude, somebody who was shaped by Jesus Christ, who was working differently in her workplace. And some of you guys might remember Josie Hardy. She was a member of this church for four or so years. She left this church in January this year to move down to Cape Town, and she took up a position in an advertising agency. Um, She recently started a new job this week. But three or four weeks ago, she had a conversation with her boss who said three things to her. Let me find exactly what he said. He said, I love your freshness, I love the different perspective that you bring, and I love your energy. He was unable to verbalize exactly what he felt and what he found about her to be different in her work environment and her workplace. And he was exploring different things about religion, and he said to her, I'd love to have a conversation with you, because I want your voice to be part of that conversation and my thoughts and my thinking. Is that okay with you? From that, once a month, they have a monthly meeting with all of their staff. And through that conversation with her boss, actually before she started there, she said to God, I want to be able to share my story with the staff in my workplace. And just before she left, she still had that desire deep within her. And through this conversation with her boss, because she acted differently, because she had a different attitude, because she did things willingly, he said to her, can you actually take next week's session? And she did her session with all the staff in her office about telling your story. And she did a whole like presentation about that. At the end of it, she was able to tell her story about how she grew up in the church, how she used to go to church because it was the right thing to do because her parents were involved, and then how she actually for herself in New York met Jesus in a fresh and real way, and it changed her life. And God used her in that moment to do something amazing with the people in her workplace. And it all started because she was an employee who was living differently to the world that existed around her. She was doing something and Jesus was able to use her in that moment. I think it's an amazing encouragement of what God can use us to do when we live in, in a different way that's so countercultural to the world that exists around us. But we do the will of God in the place that he's put us. And as we look at this passage, we also look at the second part, which calls to the employers. Paul's also calling employers to live differently, not just employees. He's saying to employees and employers might be people in management positions who might run their own businesses. You might be a CEO. You might have a team who works with you. You're in a position of power or influence. 
And what I love in this is he says, you know what? All of us are equals in Jesus Christ. He says, actually, there is no favoritism. Just because of your position doesn't mean that you're a step ahead of the person who works with you. Actually, there's no partiality, is what he says right there in the end. He says, there is no favoritism. There is no corporate ladder in the kingdom of God. Our identity does not come from our vocation. It comes from Jesus Christ and the fact that we are servants of him. I read something that really struck me. It said, God is not as enamored with our CVs as we are. And he doesn't just say to them, listen, actually you are equal to employees. So you need to humble yourselves in how you act and how you deal with them and how you work out your lives from a Monday to Friday. He actually says to them, you know what you need to do? You need to stop your threatening. Don't use your position of influence as a way to get your employees to do something for you. And I've often encountered people who manage the way that they were managed. Who've gone through the cycle of life, they've climbed the corporate ladder, they've done the hard jobs, they've gone and got coffees and cigarettes or whatever it might be. And they've learned through the culture that they've existed in that actually now it's their turn to inflict pain and torment on people that exist below them. Has anybody got a boss like that? I've had one or two. It's hell. I had to buy my boss cigarettes from my own money one day. But anyway. And I think what's amazing is actually, this is a challenge to employers. How are we going to live differently in a way that would worship Jesus and serve Jesus in a, an environment that is so completely countercultural to what we believe? How will we worship Jesus as we manage our team? How will we lead humbly as we lead our teams and our people and our businesses? How will we pay in, a, in a, an environment who wants to pay as little as possible? Actually, Paul's challenging managers and employers to live differently in how they live out their lives as they employ people. That we would not be shaped by our experiences and our cultures that we've climbed, but actually we would be shaped by Jesus in our thinking and our thoughts. I think what challenges me practically is actually, if you are an employer today, what would your employees say if we had to bring them up here in the front of church and say, tell us about so-and-so who you work with? Or on the converse of that, what would your boss say if we had to pull them up to the front and give them the mic and say, tell us about so-and-so in their workspace? What are they like? Are they dodging everything that you give them? Or are they the best person on your team? Does every single manager in your, your workplace actually want them on their team? It's a moment of reflection actually for us to think. It's not a heavy, but it's actually something to challenge us and go, actually, what would my boss say? What would my colleagues say of me? Because Jesus calls us to actually work wholeheartedly doing the will of God because our work is holy and is designed by God. Actually, what does that mean for me on a Monday to Friday? So Paul has challenged both the employee and the employer to live differently, to think about work differently in our work environment, to live out our faith. And he calls the Ephesians and us to live for Jesus and not for ourselves and not for the culture that exists around us. But the only way that we're able to do that is actually when we look at the gospel. And we're all the way in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 talks about our identity in Jesus and the gospel. And chapter 4 to 6 it teaches us how to live. And because we've been doing this for three months, we've probably forgotten what it said in Ephesians chapter 2. Does anybody remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1? Anybody? Not a hand. I even forgot. So I had to go and look it up. And I'd love to read it. It's a little bit lengthy, but please bear with me. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. A little bit of light-hearted scripture. (laughs) Which basically says, we were all bad and we were all in sin. We were all following the way of the world. Okay? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works. And works here, he's saying you can't attain your salvation. There is nothing that you can do. There's no amount of prayers that you can pray that actually could get you into heaven. It is only by faith in Jesus, is what he is saying here, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the only way that actually we can live out our our place in our work environment, being influenced by the gospel, is if we are reminded of this passage of scripture. If we are reminded of our position in Jesus, that when we have faith in him, that actually we can be qualified by his act of mercy and grace, that we can come into a place of actually being his son, that we can have a relationship with God. We can't forget what happened in chapter 1 to 3. Otherwise, we won't be able to do what happens in chapter 4 to 6. We can't be called as Christians to live a life in our work environments that is completely countercultural, that is completely gospel-shaped, if we forget where our identity comes from. If we think about the context that Paul was writing into, into the time of Ephesus with slaves and masters, okay? What would make a group of slaves see their work as holy without the understanding of the gospel? The only way that they would be able to see their work as holy if they are reminded that actually Jesus was the ultimate servant. When they see Jesus, they're reminded that actually they can serve anybody and anything because he was the one who came down to earth. And he was a servant for all of us. He sacrificed incredibly so that we could have a relationship with God. When the slaves were reminded of that, they would have been able to serve willingly and wholeheartedly. And for the slave masters, or maybe even the employers, how would they be able to give their slaves unparalleled respect in the city of Ephesus in a Roman empire where the societal hierarchy was so evident around them? How would they be able to see their slaves as brothers and sisters if they didn't actually understand the gospel in Jesus Christ? They would only be able to do that when they were reminded that Jesus was in heaven and he humbled himself to come down to earth as a man to be crucified for them. And in that place, they can humble themselves and go, you know what, actually, I am not your master, I am your equal. Because Jesus came down. He was humble and I can humble myself if he can do that. Because Jesus is the ultimate servant and he's the ultimate example of love. And when we can grasp what he has done, we will, with the Holy Spirit's help, be able to see our work transformed through the power of the gospel. 
I think as I've read through this passage, we can so evidently see that the kingdom of God has got to come out of Sunday Christianity and into our workplaces through the rest of the week. And one of the cultures that we have here at Harbor City is that we believe in the culture of renewal because we want to see the city of Durban renewed by the gospel and influenced by love. We want to shift the culture of our city as we work to serve and worship Jesus and as we lead and manage our employees in a way that glorifies him and doesn't reflect the culture that exists around us. Durban is aching for us to live lives worthy of Jesus Christ so that God can use us to transform our city. And as a church, we've been running a book club this year. It's called The Book Club. Cool name. Nerdy name. And where once a month, people would actually come together and they read a book called Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. He's a preacher in New York. He writes this incredible book, understanding work within the biblical scriptures and how we can apply that to our lives. I'd love, I'd love to ask Sandra, who's been reading the book, who's been part of the book club, to come up. And I've asked her to share her story and what she's learned by reading this book what God's been teaching her, and what she's been learning. Sounds over to you. Love and struggle. Kind of loving it too much and struggling to find a healthy place for it in my life. So for me, the Lord has really actually used work to take me on a journey of maturing in my faith. And I've been working for the last three and a half years. I'm still quite new to the working world. But my experience of work was actually very similar to my studies where it's been hard, but I've really loved it. And so starting the book club, um, the questions that I've wrestled with in working were, how do I devote my life to God when my work is so demanding and takes up 70% of my time? And how do I love God and love my job? And is this even possible? So these were the questions that I came into the book club with. And probably the biggest thing that the, just going through the book has given me is just a biblical understanding of God's intentions for work. And one of the most obvious things that was so profound for me was that God works. Um, in, like in Genesis, we see God working to create the world, and then he rests on the seventh day. And in John 5, verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So I felt so free that like God's intention was for us to work and he wants us to work and that it's okay to love my job as long as it's in its right place and doesn't become an idol in my life. So out of this understanding, I felt that like when we were going to this book, like, I almost felt commissioned to go into my workplace and I felt so excited to go to work and wanted to do my job better because of the understanding of how I could actually glorify God through my work. And for me, that gave it like an eternal value. So I felt very freed um, by this, and let me just quickly find my place. Um, so I came into the book club trying to figure out how faith and work could go together, but actually for me what the book club gave me was faith for my work. And just specifically, quickly, one of the things that was recalibrated for me or where my thinking was actually corrected was just in the valuing of work. And I think in the world, particularly for me in the construction industry, which is my reality, there are all these hierarchies where we esteem some jobs more than others. And the book unpacks where the thinking comes from and shows how it's actually based on man-made value systems, which are not based in scripture. And so this really just helped me in how I related to people and actually to do things out of right motives so that I wasn't chasing 
these man-made accolades, but actually to make decisions and to chase down God's plan for my life. And so one of the quotes that I'd found in some of my notes while we were going through the um, club was that I think sums up for me almost the questions that I came into the club, the book club with. Um, it's talking about how people in the world often, in the world without Jesus, we often strive after success and find our identity and work. So it's talking into that context. And it says, since we are ready, have all the things that people strive for in Christ. Now we can work to love God and love our neighbor. Um, and so that was really just for me. I, I just found the book um, going through it just so helpful. And so going forward, um, part of my journey for me has actually been to dethrone the idol of work because I loved it too much and to kill my pride and actually learn to rest in my identity in God and learn to trust him and um, to actually rely on him. And so I feel like the more that I've relied on him probably over the last eight years, the more that um, God has actually opened doors for me that I could never have opened in my own strength. And one of these doors, which is the current one that um, is happening, is um, about four years ago when I was um, finishing varsity, I had this dream of going to this one university in the UK to study a specific course. And I started working, so I sort of just left it. And about a year and a half ago, I felt this dream become reawakened. And the Lord started envisioning me for how I could actually use it in my work. And he started speaking to me even just about the meaning of my name and things that I think he might be calling me to. And so to cut the process short, in a week's time, I will be moving to the UK to start this course um, on a fully funded scholarship, actually, that the Lord has given me. And I'm sharing this with you this morning. Like, it's not about me at all. Um, but I'm going completely reliant on God and with his faith. But I mentioned that I've been on a journey of learning to rely on the Lord. But actually, in parallel to that, the Lord's actually had to take me on a journey of um, confidence in the abilities that he's given me and learning to believe that he actually could have a plan for my life um, and could want to use me in my work. And 10 years ago, um, there's probably people in this room who knew me then, if you had told me that um, I would be going in a week's time and would have all the things that the Lord's given me, I would never in my wildest dreams um, have believed you. I would have been like, no way, it's like, I could never do that. And so this morning, um, it's not about me, and it's actually about our Father in heaven who wants our love first and wants us and wants a relationship with us first, but also wants to partner with us um, in life and in this work. And so I just thought, like, if you hear here um, this morning, I don't know, you know, there's so many people in the room, I don't know where you are, but I really believe and have faith that um, the Lord would actually want to envision you and give you faith for your work and even speak words over you about what he wants you to do. Um, and if you can do it for me, like, he can definitely do it for you. And so I just really wanted to encourage you, like, just to open your hearts to hear what the Lord is saying to you. Um, and the last thing is just one of the most significant moments of my life, actually, was I was probably at the time when I was most discouraged in my studies. Um, there was, I was at church, and they had made a call to come to the front if we wanted prayer. And I had just gone up because I was like, God, I need your help. And I remember, like, there were, it was like a massive crowd, and there were tons of people around me. And this one lady in our church, she had an amazing prophetic gift, just came up behind me. And she was quite, like, strong about it, but she just started shouting the word confidence over me. And she was like, confidence that you hear the Lord, like, confidence this, confidence that. And, like, it was one word, but it was the word that I needed to hear. And it, like, broke something in me. And so even just today, like, what is the word that the Lord is saying to you? Um, just encourage you to open your heart.
Why don't you stand with me, please? I'd love to ask all the guys who are part of the book club to come forward. If you've been reading Every Good Endeavor, if you've been part of the book club meeting once a month, What I'd love to do is I'd love to ask these guys who've been going through this journey of faith and understanding work and the gospel and the work environment, I'd love them to actually turn around and be able to pray for us. And I'd love to call us as a community to respond to that word this morning. That actually we would be able to see work differently. That we would be able to actually ask them for prayer if work is an idol in our lives. We would be able to ask them to actually ask God to help us if we devalue work and see it as a necessary evil, that we would ask them to pray for us, that actually the gospel would renew us in such a way that we would see our work as by doing the will of God, that actually we'd be able to come forward and out of our chairs this morning. And it's a bold call for me to do that, but I really feel like God wants to do something this morning in calling us to respond and calling us as a community to pray for one another, that actually our hearts would change, that God could come and actually do something this morning, that we would leave and Monday morning tomorrow wouldn't be one of those I effing hate Monday mornings. But actually, we would be awakened, be commissioned by God this morning to actually go out into our workplaces to do His will, to be able to actually live changed by the gospel and being able to see our Monday to Friday as not a necessary evil, but actually our vocation as a call and the will of God over our lives. And if you feel like work is an idol for you this morning, won't you come forward? If you feel like actually work is a necessary evil for you, won't you come forward? If you feel that actually this morning God wants to commission you into your workplace, won't you come forward and have one of these people pray for you this morning I'm going to ask the band to play we're going to sing a song and you can come forward and respond to God this morning let the king of my heart be the mountain where I rise the fountain I drink from oh he is my soul let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my soul. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my soul. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my soul, and you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, You're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the wind. Oh, he is my soul. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the anchor of my days. Oh, he 
Jesus, I pray that you would help shape our lives in a way that we would see work differently. I pray that you would set us free from devaluing work as a necessary evil. I pray that you would set us free from having work as an idol in our lives. Jesus, I pray on Monday to Fridays would be in a place that we would be able to worship you in the way that we work, in the way that we see our work, in the way that actually we are working because we are doing your will in our lives. I pray, Jesus, that we would be shaped by your gospel. I pray that it would completely change the way that we view our Monday to Friday. I pray that you would do something incredible inside each and every single one of us, Jesus. As we look to you, as we enthrone you, and as we worship you this morning, Jesus Christ. 
We absolutely love you, Lord. We pray that you would be with us throughout our week. We worship your name, Jesus. Amen. I'd love to encourage you to sign up for um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. If you haven't already, today is the last day. I'd love you to join us for a cup of tea or coffee and a donut downstairs. Um, and if you know Sandra, she's been an incredible leader in our community, an incredible servant. Uh, we're going to be praying for her because today is her last Sunday with us as well. But thank you very much. Thank you, Harbour City. Thank you, visitors. Have a great week.